The challenge is this. What has allowed me to determine whether there has in fact been interference cannot be disclosed publicly. A public review of classified intelligence simply cannot be done. 621 is the time, 14 degrees and a cloudy day that's going to feature some rain as well. But here's a ray of sunshine. Preet Banerjee is here, personal finance commentator, <laughs> founder of Money Gaps. Hey, it's nice to have you, Preet. Good morning. It's nice to be had, John. Good morning. So, you know, that was just one clip of David Johnston explaining why he doesn't think a public inquiry is, uh, it's not even that it, whether it's necessary, it's whether it would accomplish anything and whether or not it can actually handle all the private intelligence that it would have to consider. Um, but you know what? I've been saying this morning, either you buy what David Johnston is selling or you don't. And so I think we do have to have a public inquiry because the people who already hate him, this is like, you know, Benghazi. It's just never going to go away. Yeah. And the sensitivity of that that information that would have to be redacted is such a catch-22. I mean, how convenient. And given the circumstances around, you know, um, the person making the decision and possible conflicts of interest, this was never going to turn out uh, in any other way. People are not going to be satisfied with, um, you know, the report and the process just doesn't seem to have followed any uh, logical reasoning. So I think most people are going to be quite frustrated. I don't think there's going to be any resolution at this point. It would be nice if we could have gotten, you know, designated adjudicators from all official federal parties to privately make this determination, but I doubt we get a consensus that way either. So I, I completely agree with you. I think that an inquiry is required. Okay, and at 11.35 this morning, Pierre Polyev, the head of the Conservative Party, is going to be on the Jerry Agar show, and I'm sure that Jerry's going to ask him why he's declining to look at these top-secret documents. I mean, that to me, you said we should have an all-party committee if we could, or an all-party inquiry, we can kind of quasi have that if all of the party leaders get to look at the intelligence, but Pierre Polyev is saying no. Yeah, that is very puzzling. I'd be very interested to tuning in to, uh, to Jerry's show to listen exactly what the rationale is behind this. I thought, you know, this is the person who doesn't want any gatekeepers, but he's gatekeeping himself on this. And I just don't get it. Okay, um, and one last aspect in all of this, Han Dong, the MP who was accused of uh, telling the Consul General of China in Toronto that China should keep the two Michaels behind bars, that has turned out to be absolute garbage. And so if there's any one major victim in all of this, it's Han Dong. Yeah, and you know, I kind of had no idea how I could judge Handong's alleged role in the two Michaels before this report. And I don't know if I can judge it now, because again, we're just relying on one person's word. And I think this person is probably pretty trustworthy. He's never given me any reason to suspect otherwise. But given the conflict of interest, I don't think a lot of people are going to say, okay, well, that settles it for me. It's the process that this was all determined is, I think, the most frustrating part at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, the information comes from, apparently, somebody in CSIS, and obviously they were tapping the phones into the consulate, but this sort of compromises that individual as a source for anything, I think. And again, to come back to Han Dong, I hope that he's reintegrated into the caucus and can rehabilitate his career. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, you know, if you can show that absolutely uh, those allegations were false, 
Uh, and I think we still have to sort of look at what those allegations were, why were they made, how they were made. And maybe this is part of that public inquiry about this, you know, the security apparatus. What are we allowed to see as the public and what aren't we allowed to see and what safeguards are there in place? Because we know that there are some things that from a security perspective, we probably shouldn't put out there. So um, I expressed my own views about the idea of providing a free breakfast and lunch to every single school kid in Ontario. I'm curious about your perspective. Heard from a lot of people who said, well, you know, if you means test it, then everybody knows that the kids who are getting the free food are poor. And I guess I can understand that as an intellectual argument. But again, to come back to the idea that the state should be on the hook for two meals a day seems a little excessive. Yeah, I think there's a better balance to be struck um, overall, and not to minimize the cost and the infrastructure challenge it would be, but, you know, proper nourishment is not only critical, you know, right now, given the demand on food banks, but in the past, I was involved in a charity that really advocated for making sure that kids don't end up at school hungry because your ability to learn is severely compromised when all you're thinking about is your hunger pangs. And for people who are especially, you know, disadvantaged are, are encumbered, this really affects their trajectory in life. So I think it's a very worthwhile problem to tackle, but a sort of a carte blanche across the board or a, a means testing can subject kids to stigma in school, which can be another issue to tackle. So I think there's got to be a better way. And I think there's people who are much more up to speed on these issues and how to tackle them would be able to provide than just sort of a blanket uh, two meals per day for everyone. But I do think it's a it's a problem worth tackling. Shrinkflation is getting worse in Canada. And as pointed out by the ubiquitous professor Sylvain Charlebois, um, there's kind of an interesting loophole in all of this, where if you shrink something small enough, it moves from being in the food category to being in the snack category, and it becomes taxable. So not only are you being dinged with less quantity for the same price, but now you're paying a tax. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it all comes down to the tax code. And, you know, when you go to the grocery store, there are certain things that fall into the category of a basic grocery item that are exempt uh, from the sales taxes. But snacks aren't. Um, and the definition of snacks um, is um, at the same time specific, but also a little bit vague in the tax code. But specifically with shrinkflation, which is the phenomenon where the packaging or the amount that you get goes down while the price stays the same. So you're getting less, even though you're paying the same amount. Once you have some of these packages get down below a certain threshold, they cross from being a basic grocery item into a snack. And so not only are you getting less and paying the same amount, now that same amount is now subject to tax, which is just completely infuriating. Yeah. Okay. So what is dynamic currency conversion? <clears throat> yes. So this is uh, something that is very important if you're going to be traveling anytime soon to a foreign country. So normally, if you pay with a credit card, as many people do for convenience, you have um, your credit card will process whatever the local currency is and do the currency transaction. And you find out what it is when you get home or you check your credit card statement. So for some people, they don't like the idea of not knowing what the final cost is going to be. And some merchants will offer, well, hey, we do you want to pay in Canadian dollars? And because everything's electronic now, you stick your card into the machine, the machine will say, hey, this person's from Canada, ask them if they want to pay in Canadian dollars, and we'll provide you the exchange rate. So some people feel that the familiarity of seeing things in Canadian dollars 
is convenient. And so they'll select that option, <clears throat> not knowing that the markup can be absolutely massive. So as an example, my wife was at Heathrow Airport and she had a fish and chips lunch. It was 21 pounds, something like that. And the conversion rate offered to her was 2.167 Canadian dollars to the pound, which is about 25% more than what your credit card would have charged to do the conversion. So just a warning that when you are offered to pay in Canadian dollars when you're traveling, that markup can be like a quarter of the cost of your vacation. So turn it down, pay in the local currency. Good advice from a guy who gives personal finance uh, <laughs> advice. Thank you, Preet. Thank you, John. Preet Banerjee, and if you want more of his uh, financial commentary, you can go to his website, which is called Money Gaps. Coming up, Scott Reed is going to join us after the half-hour headlines and traffic. His thoughts on the special rapporteur. And this being a White Coat Wednesday, we'll talk medicine with Dr. Mitch Shulman. And a lack of sleep in the military is being linked to obesity, perhaps not surprisingly.